This is a crowd podcast. Hello, I'm Geraint Thomas. And I'm Tom Fordyce. And you've just entered the Geraint Thomas Cycling Club. Brought to you by Zwift, the indoor cycling app. Jump on your smart trainer and jump into Zwift. Kreuzer, or welcome. Tom, how's it going? Good, thanks, G. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm surprised to be talking to you today in some ways. Not because you're in your bright orange Ineos training kit and you've been out on your bike because that happens at this time of year, but there's something else going on today, isn't there? Um, that might mean we didn't have a chat. Yeah, you're on about your birthday. I am. I'm very subtly pushing you towards my birthday. Now, it's not a massively, <laughs> massively significant birthday. That will come next year. That is the point when all the over 50s in the Northwest Cyclocross League will look over their shoulders in fear. <laughs> yeah, well, Pembloid Apis, Tom. Happy birthday. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, your birthday always falls in a point of the season when you're actually training quite hard, doesn't it? It does, yeah. Or racing. Um, this year, possibly racing because it's end of May. So, Jira time. Exactly, yeah. And it's normally a bloody hard stage as well. If it was a sprint day, it'd be better, wouldn't it? But it's normally the last sort of three or four days where, and as we all know, the Giro likes to end, well, difficulty level five, you know? it's uh, Every stage is pretty hard. So, um, yeah, that's going to be an interesting interesting one. Actually, a few years ago, well, as more than a few years ago, when I was in Barla World, I had my birthday and um, just had a couple of beers in the evening, nothing crazy. You know, I didn't want to get drunk because we had a mountain time trial the next day. I must have had three or four. Anyway, do this mountain time trial. It was at altitude, gravel road. Cars couldn't even follow us. One of those type of stages, you know, had a motorbike with spares on the back. Get to the top. I thought I was going to be sick, Tom. <laughs> it was horrendous. Like As if the, the that just riding up that mountain wasn't hard enough for the altitude and everything and the exertion you had to put on. I think I definitely felt a couple of those beers the next day. I learned my lesson then. Do you remember on Blue Peter when it used to be one of the cats or dogs' birthdays and they'd always make this cake out of dog food, which actually looked quite attractive but was still dog food? Do you find that if you are racing or training and you're away with Ineos on your birthday, that they will try and make you a sort of surrogate cake, which is actually disgusting because it has to be healthy? Yeah, kind of. I've had quite a few birthdays up in Tenerife. And um, yeah, we've had a couple of healthy cakes, which is just Mm. like pathetic there's no point just don't give me a cake there's no point yeah but um but then a few times i've had a decent one and um had my 30th up there actually sar came up i think she regretted that when she realized how boring (laughs) it was up there but um yeah i don't have ever i think i might have had one birthday like at home since i was like 18 i've always been racing or away training camp and stuff so um no different this year either all being well What's the strategy then? Do you have a second birthday when you get home? Like, do it properly? Yeah, a bit like the Queen, you know, or the King now. I think uh, try and have a couple of birthdays, really. Um, you know, you might go out for a nice meal before you go away or after. You might get a couple of cards that has slipped into my bag or whatever. But, yeah, that's about it, really. It's pretty um, pathetic. But they're enjoyable. Yeah. Well, Segway Klaxon... G, because um, if I weren't receiving one already as being chairman of the GTCC, perhaps the ideal gift for me on my birthday would be our new hoodies, which are currently available at gtccstore.com. Wow, I think I might have got you a little surprise in the post, Tom. You never know. Can I just say as well, I don't 
just wear my kit like this. I haven't been sat at home for two hours. I literally just got back through the door. I still got oil on my hands. I had another, well, I just had a puncher. I could do with this mechanic. Where's this full-time mechanic, Tom? Where did you go today? Up in the hills? Well, actually, started the day. I rode with um, George Russell. So I met him, uh, Jim Radcliffe, the big boss of Ineos and Dave B. We rode along to Ventimiglia in Italy. Um, it's about an hour or so. Stopped for a coffee. The, I think the coffee stop was longer than the ride, actually. <laughs> had a few coffees. I did. I stayed away from the croissants. You know, I was, especially when the boss is around, you got to be professional, haven't you, Tom? <laughs> do, do you find when you're riding with Dave and Jim Radcliffe that you have to either just let them sit on your wheel because they pay the bills or that you have to pretend that you're really tired and that Jim Radcliffe has dropped you and you're like, whoa, Jim, that's so quick. I'm an elite rider and I can't keep up with you. You must be in incredible shape. <laughs> um no, I'm more the other end, just like I like to squeeze on a bit and let them show oh. them that, you know, who's boss on the road, Tom. They might <laughs> show be Show them where boss, their money's but... going. <laughs> yeah. No, it was a nice steady ride out there. It's a bit up and down, but um, yeah, it was nice blue skies, lovely ride. Um, then rode home and then I carried on training and yeah, as I said, punctured about 20 minutes after leaving them. And these tyres we got, they're like um, no clinchers with the inner tube. Yeah. We've got them now for training, but... Why? Well, it's, I guess if you puncture, you just change the tube, but rather than tubeless, it's a bit more... But they're more likely to puncture, aren't they? This is one of the great debates in cycling. Yes, exactly. And um, yeah, it was, it was the same wheel that you can put tubeless tyres on, so it was really tight. I need new thumbs, like just to get them on and off. Like, you'd be screwed. How's your thumb, by the way? It'd be no good for taking tyres off whatsoever. I'd need, to, <laughs> I'd need to hail a passerby with my robot hand and get them to help me out. Yeah, and I didn't have a pump. So I don't take a pump from me because I'm always a bit like, ah, I'll be all right. Um, and every year I end up buying a pump eventually and I attach it to my bike, go to training camp. First thing I do, take the bracket thing off. That gets lost. And I don't bother having a pump for the rest of the year and then until November comes around again. But um, but yeah, so I had to drive up. Her and Max drove up with, with a track pump to meet me. Um so yeah, and then oh, towards the end of the ride, then I had to go to the dentist because I had a dentist appointment because I had a tooth out last week. So it's a quite an eventful ride, really. And then get back and straight on this to you. So, well, there is a little bit more bad news for your day, G, um, because for this year at least, you haven't been crowned Cycling Weekly's Male Rider of the Year. The silver lining to this is that the honour this time around has gone to Tom Pidcock former guest on the GTCC and Cycling Weekly's female rider of the year is none other than Zoe Bagstead who is another former guest on GTCC and I like to think both of them are members so it's not all bad news. Yeah big congrats to them they you know people can go back and listen to those episodes as well if they want. Good shout. When you won it in the past what is the prize? Is it um, a trophy? Is there some sort of champagne? Nothing actually I think it's just to get a a few sentences in the magazine. Yeah, I did find out the other day, though, I won Comeback of the Year from um, the Cycling Podcast. Did you? Yeah, I get a mug. Is that, is that entirely a good thing? Or is it? does it show that the fact is a comeback that you'd gone quite low? Well, yeah, that's the thing. It was kind of like, they did ask me, did I see it as a comeback? I was kind of like, well, not really, to be honest, but, you know, I'll take it. 
any any prize you want to give me wins a win it's a little bit like getting the most improved player isn't it when you're a kid in the football team and immediately you think this is great I've won a prize and you think they must have thought I was rubbish before <laughs> yeah exactly but they didn't know what they were watching before did they then they realised got magic in these feet Exactly. Um, if you're listening to this and you've got any other suggestions for guests in the new year, get in touch on all the socials, usual places, or on email gtcc at crowdnetwork.co.uk and let us know. In the meantime, G, we have a guest today who is excellent and we are very excited about. Shall we get her on? Let's do it. G, I am delighted to announce that we have got momentous back on board as a sponsor for Series 3 of the GTCC. Momentus, a little bit like UG, are dedicated to optimising both the mind and body and they're leading the way for high performance seekers at all levels. Right, so for those not familiar with Momentus, G, tell us all about their flagship product. Yeah, so PR lotion is something I've used on my body for years, Tom. It basically delivers bicarb directly to your muscles via your skin and bypasses the gut, which... I don't know if you've ever drunk bicarb, Tom, but that's a big plus. The best time to use it, I find, is an hour and a half before your workout on Zwift or out on the road or whatever you're doing. And it's not too sticky either. It doesn't get stuck in your hairs if you've forgotten to shave. And it definitely helps me train harder. All of this is true, G. It is actually scientifically proven to improve performance and decrease muscle soreness and helps you make all those training goals. If you want to get your hands on some PR lotion, Momentus are giving GTCC members, that's you listening right now, yes you, 25% off. Give them the code G. Just head over to PRLotion.com and use the code GTCC2022 to get 25% off today. Enjoy. Our guest today, Tom, is a proper off-road superstar. She's been world mountain bike champion, Commonwealth Games mountain bike champion, double world under 23 cyclocross champion. Welcome to the GTCC, Evie Richards. Welcome. Do I say hello? <laughs> Hi. <laughs> I got to say, I said to Tom just now, when you came on, you've been the, I think, the most energy and the brightest guest we've ever had. <laughs> it's because I'm always running late, so I'm all, I'm always dashing around. So need to have energy for that, I think. I was saying to Tom, you could do our adverts for us. There's always me like, <laughs> welcome to the GTCC. Yeah, no, I'll come back and do those for you. <laughs> Loving the energy. You can tell you, yeah, I don't know, typical like off-roader. You all seem really just relaxed, outgoing, you know, friendly. You know, road track riders can seem a bit more reserved a bit more british almost whereas mountain bikers are a bit more american almost you know being very <laughs> stereotypical now but yeah no it's great loving the energy now we have a good group when we go away we've got a really good group and there's a, yeah there's definitely a few americans on our team but i think it's a good environment i've been on a couple of road camps and the mountain bike vibe is yeah quite different i think to that road team environment yeah i did one mountain bike race ever I think and that was a nationals when I was under 16 maybe and we were camping out overnight and oh it was just great it was like everyone was just so chilled out relaxed having barbecues a few drinks obviously I wasn't drinking under 16 but you know every like all the adults were drinking and it was just like such a good laugh and then you go to like the road nationals or whatever and you got all these like dead stressed pushy parents like making sure their zips are 
pumped up to eight bars and I don't know all sorts <laughs> of jazz. But um, no, yeah, it is a good culture, I guess is the right word for it. Yeah, definitely. No, I went on a road camp last year and I joined. I was lucky. I joined. Um, I joined the Trek Road team in Denia, I think it was, but. I like turned like up to breakfast like in my Hawaiian like matching two-piece with my beach towel. I think <laughs> everyone looked at me like, oh my God, what is this girl doing here? So I think, yeah, but if you did that on a mountain bike camp, it would just see, like, seem normal. But definitely, yeah, I felt like I stuck out like a bit of a sore thumb on the road camp. Oh, quality, you got to own it. <laughs> you had a slightly different route in, Evie, didn't you, to a lot of people who've ended up as pro riders? Because you were a really good hockey player, weren't you? And what's this story about your dad and his his bike that he got on the cycle to work scheme yeah definitely like I, I just knew from a really young age I wanted to go to the Olympics it's just like from as young as I can remember it's all I all I ever wanted to do so at high school I just started every sport I was just that kid that did everything from like high jump even though I was like the shortest in my class to yeah just any sport I did everything rugby everything and then um my hockey coach, I was doing a lot of hockey. I was playing a lot at Canic Chase and he just said, pick up another sport over winter. And at the time, cycling was literally the only thing I wasn't doing. So dad had a ride to work scheme. So he, he'd bought a bike cheap and we just started like a run ride. So one of us would run and the other one would ride. And soon after that, I got a job at a farm shop. And again, the only way to get there was to for me to buy a bike so I could ride next to dad. So bought a bike with my first wage, like my weekend job. And it kind of went from there, just like me and dad pedaling together. That's quality. I'd like, um, I was exactly the same, to be fair, when you said that. I just remember sitting in my mum and dad's front room on the carpet, watching like, when was Barcelona Olympics now? 92. 92. I remember them for the first time. Is that when Linford Christie won? Yeah. So yeah, that was the first one I remember. And I must have been, well, I would have been six then. You weren't weren't even born then, were you? I guess. No, I don't. I don't think so. <laughs> but um, yeah, I remember watching them and just like, yeah, exactly the same feeling. Like, I want to go to the Olympics. Like, I don't care what it's in. Like, whether that's swimming or athletics or anything. Well, bowls aren't in the Olympics, but they're in the Commie Games, aren't they? But whatever it is, like, just dreaming of going to the Olympics and representing GB and standing on that podium. And it's uh, and it's the same with me. Like, I my parents didn't ride. Or anything because when I was younger that was really the only way you'd get into it is if your mum and dad were into it you know whereas yeah, now definitely. obviously it's a bit different you have you know plenty of British riders performing across the board you know like you've won world championships on mountain bike you know Tom as well Olympics as well and you've got the, the track and everything that that's doing and the road so it's slightly different now but back then you, it was a bit different wasn't it you just stood out if you were riding your bike like what are you doing that for yeah, definitely. I felt like it definitely didn't feel like the cool thing at school. Like I didn't it kind of when I started riding, I then just kind of found like a new like went back to a group of boys I was at primary school and nursery with and they kind of became my friends because definitely I don't think like a helmet's like the most trendy thing when you're like in sixth form and everyone's partying and you're just turning up on a on a bike <laughs> on a helm with wearing a helmet to school so yeah definitely probably wasn't the trendiest sport it felt like at that age but I think things have changed now it seems like I think definitely quite a cool sport to go into now 
Yeah, definitely. And what are they doing now as well, eh? I bet they wish they'd uh, joined you on those rides. Yeah, no, I don't know what a lot of them do. I think <laughs> when I bump into them, they're still like, oh, have you got a proper job yet, Evie? I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> like I'm still quite happy just riding for a bit longer. <laughs> and why was it off-road riding that you loved, Evie, when you started? Why off-road rather than on the road? Yeah, so I, th- I I can't really remember. I think it was actually a cross bike I bought with my first wage to get to the farm shop. But um, for me, I always had like a little running route loop on the hills, which I love doing. And then when it was dad's mountain bike that I was using, I just remember feeling like really safe. I always worried when I ran on my own that someone might chase me or something. But as soon as I started on the mountain bike, I thought, well, if I can do this on my own, I can like ride away from them faster if someone's chasing me. So it kind of just felt like it was like a progression on from running on the hills. And then I don't think mum and dad were too fussed about me being on the roads. They always felt like they were a bit more dangerous. So they were quite happy for me to go on my own. And I was lucky that Liam Colleen, he raced in the Olympics. I watched him at Commonwealth Games and Tracy Mosey, she was a downhill world champ as well. And they did sessions and the boys that I went to nursery with, they were being coached and doing bits with Tracy and Liam. So it kind of was just, the road was never really, there was always a little bit of an opportunity really in riding and that's what the boys were doing in the village. So I kind of just went into that and very lucky that Tracy and Liam were there really and just kind of got swooped up by them. And whereabouts were you riding? Because you're from near the Malverns, aren't you? And there's some lovely little cheeky trails through the hills there. Was that where you were going? Yeah, so literally like... Where my mum and dad live, like 800 metres between my house and my cousin's house with all the boys that I used to ride with. We literally were all neighbours, all all lived on the same road. And we would have like a turbo session on a Tuesday in one of the boys' garage. And then we'd meet up above the well, above where the cafe my mum worked on, on the next day. And then we'd have a weekend ride together. So we literally just, us boys, just like went out and... Yeah, I, I was just lucky that the Malvern Hills are so good for riding and just we didn't have to go far really for to have a good training and a bit of fun. It's funny you say that, Turbo Tuesdays. Like, I remember when we were kids, we used to go around Luke Rowe's house into his garage and we'd all be there on the turbos, or rollers they were actually. Do you ever do roller racing? No, I missed out on that. Oh, that was so good. Like, I haven't thought about roller racing for about 20 years, I think, but... They were so good, you know, you'd just be there, you'd have that big clock behind you, you know, and um, say there's four of you, you'd all be four different colours, and then you'd be sprinting and you'd be doing like, I don't know how far it was, but a certain, maybe 500 metres was a lap of the clock, and you'd, uh, your needles then, so if I was red and you were blue or whatever, you'd be racing around and the guy holding you would be there like, yeah, come on, come on, come on. Oh, they were great, roller racing. Did you ever do that, Tom? I'm terrified of rollers. I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not at the same level as you two, clearly. But whenever I sit, whenever I do a local cross race and I see people on the rollers, I just think you are going to stack it. You're going to fall <laughs> off. I can even get going without even holding on now, Tom. That's how pro I am at roller. That riding. is serious pro. That is, yeah. I tried doing it once when uh, all the boys were over my house before a night out. You know, we'd have drinks club and we'd have like um, danger in a bowl. So you'd pour everyone's drink. You'd everyone <laughs> would bring a drink, pour it all into the bowl, and you'd have straws and. Anyway, after this, before we go out, one of the boys sees the rollers. They're like, oh, can you ride that? Or what's that for? And I was like, oh, I ride my bike on it, you know? And they're like, nah, you can't do that. So then, you know, after a few, well, a lot to drink, trying to ride the rollers in my garage, keep falling onto the table with all the drinks. All the boys like, well, well, yeah, we we believe you, we believe you. But (laughs) yeah, I have to prove to them again at some point. Evie, tell us about your first mountain bike race because... 
it sounds like you weren't quite ready at that stage with some of the technical features that were coming your way. Yeah, I can't really remember the first one, but I remember like Interregionals was probably like one of the f- first big-ish kind of races. And I just remember I like led the race out. There's a picture. No one really knew. Like I hadn't really gone to any of the big races. So none of the girls really knew me. They were all chatting on the start line. And I just led the race out and then got to the first technical feature. And I think I even probably pushed it round the B line. So I couldn't even like, let alone couldn't ride the A line. I don't think I could even ride the B line. So... Yeah, it definitely was pretty terrible. And even like the rollers, when I think back to those early GB camps, everyone was doing no handed and everything. And I was struggling to get on with like two chairs by the side of me. So (laughs) yeah, those technical skills were just like never, never there. I think because I started a bit later, I just, it's taken me a long time now to learn them. I was just quite happy going up the hills. So does that take a lot of work even now? Like do you do, I was chatting to Pauline. Pravan Pravo. That's the one, yeah. And um, she was saying she rides a mountain bike twice a week for like skills and stuff. So do you have to do, do you do more or are you obviously at a good level now? It's just more just a similar thing, maintaining. Yeah, no, I'm I'm still pretty terrible, I'd say. Like every, uh, I'm yeah. always trying to practice, but I think I'm just such a baby. Like I'm a bit scared of heights and drop scare me. So for me, it's just like always like a work in progress. Like I have a technical coach as well as a normal coach. So I, I saw her at the weekend and I'm, I'm going to see her next week. So me and Katie do a fair bit of work together once I get in a good routine of going up to Faster Dean. Um, but yeah, I kind of just ride whichever bike I fancy in, when I wake up. Um, but yeah, the mountain bike's always good though to practice on it. Once I've been off it for a few times, I, I can tell definitely when I get back on it, I'm a bit rusty. <laughs> so you're based in the UK the whole time. You you go away for training camps and things, but you're mainly in the UK, you're training and everything. Yeah, I bought a little cottage next to my, like in between my grandparents and my mum and dad. Um, And yeah, I just train at home basically on my own most of the time and then go away. Like I'll just organise a little training camp with me and maybe I'll, try and persuade a friend to come along with me but it's quite like yeah just me trying to like organize like little training camps or whatever whenever I can. So it's been a pretty miserable day in the UK when we're, the day we're recording this EV where I am in the northwest it hasn't stopped raining all day. Let's say you were to wake up tomorrow morning and you went down I don't know if you got a bike shed or the garage um, I'm going to give you a choice of bike and I'd like to know which one you're going to choose. So you've got a nice road bike in there I'm sure you've got a mountain bike and a cross bike might be a time trial bike in there, I guess. Which of the list of bikes are you going for tomorrow morning? If it's, well, to be fair, so I bought this house. It doesn't really have a bike room or storage or anything. So I don't have a dining room. I have a bike. My bikes have taken over the dining <laughs> room. So that's take. I don't have a table or anything. So mum and dad have a fair few bikes of mine. So sometimes I have to run up to theirs to get another bike. But if it's like a really wet day, like I always go on the mountain bike. I love the mountain bike in the mud, like put on full waterproofs and I'm pretty happy on life if it's raining and I'm on the mountain bike that day just stick a mud on on the front wheel and I'm kind of ready to go I think we need to talk mud here G because as, as you know I like getting out on the mountain bike I like doing cross racing and Evie there are in the same way as Eskimos have supposedly 100 different words for snow I think people who ride mountain bikes and cross bikes we could probably list about 100 different types of mud couldn't we? Wet, sloppy mud, loamy mud, clay mud, dry, Lomi. rutty mud. Loamy is the dream, G. I think Either you have you to go on the trails to see, to see loamy trails. I think that's your next podcast, get G on the trails to see loamy mud. Evie, let's explain to G why loamy mud is such fun if, you're, if your rear wheel is digging in some nice loamy mud. 
I wouldn't say I'm like the proper connoisseur of mud because I just I <laughs> mud's mud. But like loamy trails is like well, you don't get them around here, but it's I don't really know how to describe it, but it's just like a freshly cut trail that like kind of holds your wheel um, when you okay. go around the corners. I think was how I describe it. It basically doesn't happen in the UK, G. And anyone who likes mountain biking will watch mountain biking videos or look at photos. And it always seems to be happening in countries where you aren't. It either happens in the Alps or it happens in British Columbia or somewhere like that. Can you get boggy mud? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's got to be fun. Just going through that and just being like, not knowing where you're going to end up. Yeah, that's like the classic rides. I think that's why it's just so good. Like when you're in like full like... Like downhill shoes, full waterproofs, it just doesn't matter. I think I'll have a set of spare waterproofs as well by the front door in case I get too wet, change them over and go again. So, hmm. yeah, the the mud on the mountain bike is pretty fun. Like you said about the rain, like going out on your mountain bike, I've only done it a couple of times, but you just get so warm so quick. Like I can see when it's a wet day, oh, that would be so much more enjoyable than riding the road for four hours five hours yeah i don't know how you guys do it on the road in in the winter it's just like it's just miserable i think like there's no enjoyment on the when you're on the road bike and it's raining i don't think uh, well we move we move out of the uk basically <laughs> yeah we chase the I don't sun blame you. <laughs> should we talk about enjoyment then g because this is something evie that when i've looked at your career this seems to be the thread that disappeared for a bit and then emerged again so you've talked about how obsessed you were with the Olympics when you were younger. But then once you got into the system that would take most people to the Olympics with British cycling, that seems to be when maybe that thread of enjoyment began to disappear a little bit. Yeah, so I kind of did like the main um, like GB path. Like I looked around unis and it was just like, just wasn't for me. I knew I wanted to go to the Olympics and uni wasn't going to get me there. So yeah, I joined GB, moved up to Marple and lived there, like changed coaches and just just dedicated everything to riding and I think it got to like Christmas just before national champs and world champs and I, I hated it I'd I basically got like a road coach that hadn't touched my mountain bike once riding on the road every day didn't know anyone in Manchester and just rode my bike on the road and came back and yeah got to Christmas mum and dad came up and I was like I'm finished I'm gonna do a ski season I'm really this is this is not for me this is not what I, I wanted to do um and dad just said okay well national champs is next week and then worlds is the week after that just just do one of them and just that then you can see like there's no point wasting all this training and then I entered nationals I won and then I won world champs and then kind of from there it it kind of yeah I had a little breakthrough I think Red Bull then messaged they got in contact with me and I think over then the two years I still I just felt for me the GB riding was just far too serious I just I lost all my friends I only rode and that's all I really had in my life and I just kind of thought that was normal and then I I moved on to Trek I got sponsored by Red Bull I started working with a psychologist and yeah everything just changed I just went back to riding my bike like I used to when I lived at home and riding with the boys that I liked riding with and got my social life back and just became like back to me I think I'm quite a sociable person and I like having fun and yeah the like stale conditions of riding and then lying down and not moving it just it just wasn't for me and that's and that's why I didn't really do road because I, I didn't I didn't enjoy that stuff and I think when you're going to these amazing places in Europe and you're just being told to rest around the races 
it just feels like you're putting your life on hold for a bit and I, I kind of didn't want to do that anymore so yeah mainly the psychologist helped me find that spark back and feel very lucky that I started working with him quite young really. Good old dad as well gotta say keeping you going for those two weeks British Cycling I got a lot to thank him for. Yeah, no, he he's always been there. He's done a great job, really. But I've paid him back in bikes, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I get I get what you're saying, though. I remember, like, yeah, even as a junior, I don't know how old you were when you moved up to Manchester, but, yeah, well, when we were junior riding for GB and stuff, it was just everyone telling you, like, lie down, rest, you know, and, like, we were in Moscow and stuff and um, LA, the other one, were for the track, and it was all about, you know, just yeah ride your bike and rest and i can definitely see like your type of character as well you just need to just be out there doing stuff you know as you say being social and so it's yeah great to see that you managed to find a way to continue that and to enjoy it and then obviously that the success has continued to come it's uh yeah fair play yeah, I think it's a funny one. When you come, especially from school, when you're doing like riding and then add a job at Waitrose or doing A-levels and then it's just like you just ride, nothing else. Like no running, no swimming, no rounders. I was just like, you just lose all the spark for all these sports. And I, I love doing sports. So to stop them all because resting was just so important, you think you just get a bit brainwashed and then you worry when you walk because you think, oh, I'm going to ruin that session because I've walked to get my shopping or something. So I just kind of got in my head really. Did you find yourself getting really anxious before races, Evie, as well? Which sort of makes sense, I guess, if you're in that path when you're putting a lot of weight on all your results and the end goal is the Olympics. But equally, if, if you're someone who's got into sport because you love it, feeling physically sick before a race is not a good place to be, is it? Yeah, it was really weird. So I did a race. Um, I remember I went to Italy. Uh, I think actually it was on the border of Italy, Switzerland. And... The one girl had sickness after and she said she had food poisoning. I said, oh, yeah, that's strange because, yeah, I was sick as well in the race. And then from then on, I was sick every race. I think maybe for nearly two years it was. And not for cyclocross, just for mountain bike. And I remember seeing the GB doctors who were who were really helpful, but they just basically said, Evie, there's nothing wrong with you. And I just didn't believe them. They just said, oh, it's, it's all psychological. And I said, yeah, but I'm fine, like nothing's nothing's wrong with me so I had like endoscopy and checked everything everything was fine um and yeah it was just horrendous like I remember Cannes World Champs I was sick during that basically got heat stroke was still being sick after the race and yeah again it got to the stage where I was like I can't do this anymore as I can't race and just keep being sick um and cyclocross I was fine never had sickness ever in cyclocross but for me although I'd done well in it and I won a lot in cyclocross it was always for fun I always raced it purely for fun and then that was when I started working with Rich and since working with Rich I haven't been sick since and I didn't feel like I was putting a lot on pressure on myself for results or anything um but obviously you don't always know what's going on your head really I think that's what really surprised me it's crazy isn't it I think more so these days it's more it's talked about more and more people are aware of the whole psychology and things but it's mad how the, the power of the your brain basically you know and how you yeah how you see things how you think about stuff and this can affect like how you race massively yeah no I think uh, I think my well I love my psychology I don't generally don't know what I do without him and I think probably don't need him as much anymore because he's figured out everything now but 
I think that there's it surprises me even with downhill like uh, not as many people use them as I would think but there's like so much pressure on such a short amount of time I I still think there's so much you can gain from using a psychologist even even though you might not think you have problems I I, I don't think they're there to find problems but I really think they can help with like race strategies and and everything around racing really yeah that was one thing Steve Peters was really good at like we had a few um general chats for him I didn't really speak to him one-to-one -to -one too much but I did a little bit but n not as much as um, some of the other guys that have said publicly that they work with him and um yeah I guess I was fortunate that a lot of the things he said was kind of like how my mentality was anyway you know stuff like all you can do is get out there and do your best like why are you worrying about x y and z that you can't affect or this guy or that guy like he's got two arms two legs same as you like whatever you know it's j just get out there and do your best you're not going to go out there and try to fail um and if it does go tits up you'll learn from it you know you, you look back see what went wrong and, and make sure that doesn't happen again and um that's kind of the way i thought about it but then hearing steve do his talks and say similar things along those lines it really cemented that like belief system almost in me to continue like that really and um yeah as i say you could be the best by far physically but if mentally you just something goes wrong or you, you trigger something you, it could be it you know yeah and even now like I, I do a lot of race plans before my races and there's certain riders and you can see you can almost plan not that you want to plan your race around them but you know if you watch enough races you can see how different females or like the girls I race against they how they respond to races and I, th I think you can psychologically like crack them in a race like you can see people's heads fall off sometimes and again that's yeah all down to psychology which is crazy because Tom was chatting to me in an earlier episode actually about how Tom races cross he's really bad but he loves racing cross and getting True. muddy <laughs> And uh, just a local thing. And um, Tom was saying how if he has a bad start, it's almost a good thing because then he can actually work his way through the field and psychologically that's good. Whereas if he has a good start, he's with some guys who are a bit better and he ends up going backwards. So uh, any tips for Tom? Me or oh <laughs> No, I still haven't quite worked it out yet, I don't think. <laughs> that's not just but I me. Know exactly, I, I know exactly what you mean. It feels good when you're overtaking people. But when I think, yeah, I think that's all down to pacing, isn't it? Because I always used to just ride off on the front and I've learned actually it's better, definitely psychological, just like pacing yourself and like riding up through the field rather than like completely blowing. But uh, is it is it like that in road then? Surely you've got hours of psychologically battling with your head yeah that's that's kind of the toughest bit i guess when you're for instance if you're on a mountain stage like when i won the tour on alpe d'huez stage the climb before alpe d'huez quad de fer or something it's i don't know 20 odd k long super hot i actually felt pretty bad and i was like well i need to get some more fuel in me drinking loads and kind of came around a bit then ready for alpe d'huez but it could quite easily have cracked me there you know in the yellow jersey feeling bad up this climb knowing i've got one of the most iconic climbs in the tour to come um and then on that last climb exactly what you said about pacing and just sticking to your guns almost and fortunately i had egan set in the tempo so i could well if he could hear me because it's so loud on afterwards anyway but at least i could kind of control the tempo and um but it, it is hard when it's another team for instance 
in your head, if you've got this plan of how the day is going to pan out and then what you want to do on the last climb, if the second to last climb, a team take it up and they go ballistic at the bottom and you're just like, well, I'm on the limit here. That psychologically, that's the hardest I've, I've, I find for, I'd say probably 99% of the peloton. Like when you look up and you see someone there, you're like, how is this guy making me hurt this much? But you've just got to realise that they're actually only going to go another K or two and then the pace is going to settle down. Like they can't, physically can't ride this fast. And you're just telling yourself that and being able to, well, I've just got to dig in here you know, focus on, you know, breathing or your pedaling or whatever it is, getting through that phase and then you know it's it's all settled down and just yeah, not not cracking in the head. When we think about enjoyment, Evie, one of the things that most people get to enjoy is meals. They get to enjoy the food. Now cyclists have always been obsessed about weight and cycling coaches have always been obsessed about weight. And sometimes that makes sense from a riding perspective and a power perspective. But equally, it can be really hard if you're a young rider, can't it? Yeah, definitely. I think, again, that was another thing with GB. Like, grew up, never had weighing scales in the house. Mum didn't believe in them. And then, obviously, move away from home. And then you're in control of all of that. And, again, you're, I think it was a, it was just felt like at a time where it was just like weight was so important. It felt like you did skinfolds in front of the rest of your team. And it was all that anyone ever spoke about was weight. And... Yeah, for me, I lost a lot of weight and then that kind of was a detriment. I lost my period and just always felt pretty crap in myself. Um, and again, working with a site, that's when I started working with Rich and Rini, a nutritionist, and we got my weight back. And I think that's when I won world champs last year. That was the difference. I won that race. I was happy. I had no idea what I weighed. I hadn't weighed myself in a year. I just just it was just I ate whatever I wanted I was very just happy and when I looked back to when I won the Crossworlds I was I remember like the day before the night before I, I didn't want to eat dinner because I felt like I was overweight coming into that race and then I won Worlds the next day but it didn't matter because I felt like I didn't look right so I think weight is is such a big thing and I I know I know it is important but even now I just think I don't think there's for me the longevity I've always wanted to ride until I'm really old and I'm not going to get to that riding when I'm an old person if my bone density is terrible so I really think like now I, I try and really promote like eating well and fueling yourself properly because I, I think it's so important and I wish there was a role model I could have looked up to and and saw that because I think when I was l- riding the people I was looking up to were they were all underweight. They were all under fueling. And I, I don't think that's a great message. And I, I know I understand in some sports it's, yeah, it, 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 you, you do, it is part of the sport. But as much as I can, I really try and promote fueling yourself well and, yeah, having a good relationship with food because I wish I had that when I was growing up. Yeah, I totally agree. And sometimes it's just body types as well. Like for me, I will never be as ripped as Adam Yates, who's just ripped. 12 months of the year he's got veins popping out of everywhere you know like <laughs> it's just different body types like and you might just you will be at your optimum weight and you might just look like you're bigger compared to a girl next to you or a boy next to you it doesn't mean that you're fat or you're overweight or anything it's that your optimum weight is your optimum weight you know for your power and everything so yeah it's a big uh that's a good point to make to be fair it must be quite liberating evie to have to have got to that point mentally and then to have felt the such obvious benefits physically as well 
Yeah, definitely. Like, again, it took a lot of work with Rini. I remember when I felt like she was against me when I first started working with her. I was like, she just wants to put, make me put on weight and make me slow. Like, don't know what why, why I'm working with her. And, yeah, obviously now we're, we're really good friends. So I'm seeing her next week. And I still think it's, like, one of those things that you, you can fix, but it doesn't go away. Like, before, before I won World Champs, even though I hadn't weighed myself in a year and I was much happier, I still thought oh god getting onto the start line like I'm so much bigger but compared to those girls and I was worried about my weight like although I wouldn't do anything to I wouldn't try and eat less to make me lose weight anymore ever um I was still worried before um I raced that world championships I felt a lot bigger compared to those other girls and then I won anyway so I, I think things like that you just have to for me I have to just remind myself that it it doesn't it doesn't matter my weight it just yeah it's not really a relevant factor that comes into it my my body stays at a constant weight when it's happy so yeah it feels yeah much better now I remember it was quite like a tiring time when you're worried about everything you're eating it's like mentally exhausting so yeah it's it's a nice place to be when you can yeah have eat whatever you want and not have to worry about it yeah that's one big change I've had this year as well though is is eating more on the bike um because the last few years I've I've been in a similar thing where you're like, well, I need to eat less. So you're kind of doing all these low carb, you know, everyone goes on about low carb rides and, you know, barely eating on the bike, really having a bit of protein and a couple of rice cakes in a six hour ride, you know. But then it's almost been total opposite this year, eating a lot on the bike. You get back and you're not that hungry. So you don't eat as much like when you under fuel so much on the bike, you're hungry and you end up eating more off it, which is just isn't a good thing anyway. And, you know, you might end up snacking, you know, if you're just popping into the kitchen all the time and you're having a bit of this, bit of that. Before you know it, if you add up everything, you've eaten more anyway. So it's just like fueling properly at the right times and just people understanding that a lot more as well. You know, I think now on the bike, I think it's around like 60 to 100 grams of carbs an hour, which is like, oh, I don't know. So your typical like... Do you know the bake bars, SIS bake bars? They're like 30 grams in one of them. So it's almost three of them an hour, which is a lot. Like, it's hard to eat that much. So it's like when we're training them, we actually have to eat more to train your gut to be able to absorb. I think they say 120 grams an hour is the op- is the maximum. So we try to get to the stage where we can actually absorb that much and use it, which is crazy, really. So different to how we've done it, but... Yeah, it makes a massive difference as well, obviously. Yeah, and I think that that's it. It's like that training, like a, even I did when I went on the road camp last year, like sometimes I just forget. Like I generally don't do it on purpose. I just get back and my coach say, oh, what do you eat today? I think, oh, banana, I think. Like when I cracked at the end and I had to stop. And when I was with the road girls, I was so surprised because they just eating constantly and I couldn't even keep up with how much they were eating but then it felt like you could back up the next day and you can back up the following day and you don't get sick so there's so many good things that can come from fueling well 100 100 what you say there as well it's the um what's the word now it's just doing it consistently and having that continuous structure really you know rather than barely eating for two days and then picking out for a whole day and kind of what's the point of you know You've just eaten everything that you should have eaten two days previous anyway. So it's um it's so much easier from the outside as well. Like, because if it was me looking at another rider, it's, it's easy for me to s- spot those 
little mistakes and being like, well, just do this or that. But when it's you, you can get so wrapped up in it. And um, I think every cyclist, pro cyclist, must go through a similar thing. Some less so than others that are naturally just, you know, small and light. But I think that's it as well. There's so many riders and everyone's doing, not normally like to the extremes, but everyone's doing something quite differently. So it's easy to get caught up in thinking what you're doing is wrong or thinking you're not having the knowledge really to, to know how to feel, feel properly. It must be really satisfying, Evie, because when you won the Worlds in 2021, that, that route in Trentino was clearly pretty hilly. And from the outside, it seemed like you were most powerful on the climbs. So climbing is meant to be the bit where you get obsessed with your weight and you can't climb properly unless you're a certain weight. The climbing was where you won it. Yeah, I know. And I still look back and I'm like, how? And even in, I swear in the commentary, they said, well, Evie's not a climber, so she probably won't catch balling. And then... I did and I, I get, again yeah that race I was worried about my weight because it's such a hilly course and people say like people are honest they say oh well, you're not a climber you know yeah maybe next week will suit you better like and everyone's quite honest with that so yeah I was yeah I was quite surprised that I I, I did like shine well on the climb somehow I'm not really sure but I think that just shows like that training I trained well I was in a good place I was happy and that all of those just came together on the climb and it yeah it shows it didn't really affect me at all Shall we talk about the Commonwealth Games I know gee it wasn't perhaps the fondest part of your year but Evie you had a stormer first of all what was the, the trail like around Cannock Chase because people who listened to this show and like mountain biking will have ridden at Cannock Chase it was one of the first dedicated mountain bike trails in the UK they redesigned it how was that for you? Yeah, it was good. They did a good job. Like, Canic Chasers, like, for us XE riders, like, the World Cup courses are progressing, like, harder and harder. Every, every race is, like, more more technical. So, stepping down to Canic is, like, I don't know how to describe it in road terms, but it's pretty easy, like, compared to the World Cup 3 race. But they definitely did, like, a good job of making new features. And I think, for me, it's just cool that I know that that course will be there now for anyone else to ride. All those people that came to watch it's there now and they can go and ride it. So I think it was just, yeah, some, there's something special about having a home games for sure. Maybe we should do that, Tom. We've done Madone. We should go and do a, it's a bit of a hybrid between your running and my road riding. We can go and do a few laps of that. I think that would definitely, having ridden Canic Chase plenty of times, that would definitely suit me more than the Madone. <laughs> <laughs> How about the race then, Evie? Because I remember watching that and you were, well, out in front for most of the race, right? Yeah, well, it was a bit of a funny one. I, so I, I've had I had really bad in, um, back injury all year. So I wasn't planning on racing it. Like I'm paid to race the World Cups. Like at the end of the day, so on my schedule was to race. Um, I think they were out in Andorra or something. So most of the World Cup riders were at the World Cups because that's what we're all like kind of paid to do. So I was kind of lucky that I had a bad back, which meant that I could actually do the Commonwealth Games. But then. I don't know if you've, I'm sure you've entered races where there's not the full field. So when you win, it's like, great. I was so chuffed at one Commonwealth Games, but it's still inside. I'm like, well, there wasn't really all the top people here. So it for me, it was like amazing to race that. My granny and my nan, uh, my nanny and my granddad were at the finish line. It was like insane, but it was just like, I could only have lost. I think that, I don't know if that sounds really big headed, but a lot of the top girls weren't there. So for me, I, I went in, I, I had to win kind of thing. So yeah, I just like went off hard at the start and just he held the gap that I wanted to hold. So yeah, luckily I had no punctures, nothing went wrong and just 
yeah, it, it went well. But I think when there's not all the people there you want to race, it doesn't, when you actually win and there's not all the top girls, you're not as like happy with yourself. You're just like, oh. Yeah, I, I get that. But at the same time, a win's a win and you can only beat who's there. And at the same yeah, no, time, yeah, that is true. No, I well, my family they were all celebrating. They had yeah. big party in the garden, and they were so happy. But yeah, for me, I'm always probably a, a bit critical. I'm always like, oh, but I don't know what it would have been like if everyone was here. But yeah, it was amazing to do, and I really wanted to do it because it just feels like for me, the Commonwealth Games and the Olympics that's what got me into the sport, and like. Yeah, I really wanted to try and inspire. We, we've we got like, I was world champ as well at that time and Tom had just raced the Olympics. And I think just to keep that momentum going of like having mountain biking in the UK, just to try and get more riders, I really, really felt like that was the most important thing of, of going to the Commonwealth Games. I got to say as well, another thing to be proud of is the fact just dealing with that pressure and expectation, because as you say, all you could do is lose. Like everyone is basically giving you the medal before you've even started the race. So I think dealing with that is a massive, you should take a lot from that as well. Just, you know, you'd had your injury. It was, it was hard to just get back from that. So to go there and, well, tick the box sounds a bit too thing, but, you know, to go there and, and win the race, it's, um, it takes a lot. You know, it, I think people underestimate how much pressure that is. You know, just being expected to win, especially in a home commie games and, etc etc so don't be too hard on yourself i think g can be my new psychologist can't he (laughs) (laughs) i got a flat fee 500 quid an hour sorry sorry tom just selling my uh, (laughs) selling myself there was also evie that very nice save we don't like to talk about uh crashes on this show um which will make sense to you if you're familiar with garrett's career but there was that very nice save um because the grass in that main field was a little bit slippery as a few people had problems your back wheel went out and then you just popped it back up and kept riding well it was because I was having quite clear time splits on the course and there was like a time gap I wanted to keep and then someone must have gave me the wrong time gap or something must have happened because came back through and then someone told me the time gap she was closed it down by 30 seconds and I turned around I saw her and I slipped I was like where did she come from so it was more it wasn't really a yeah, it wasn't supposed to crash. It was more like a shock that she'd like somehow closed down that gap. So yeah, luckily I saved that because um, I think it was Charlie Oldridge, I think the other boy from Scotland, I think he washed out there and he he ripped his rear neck. So yeah, it was lucky I didn't do that. But yeah, I was just a bit shocked. Like definitely it was probably mum probably gave me the wrong time split. She's not normally <laughs> very good at it. If she's anything like my mother-in-law, she's probably there with drinking around, just like, oh yeah, 30 seconds, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah, that's it, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think they're all quite happy on that that race anyway. So with all that you've been through, Evie, what would your advice be to young riders listen to this? I think it's just like having, like maintaining as much of that social life as possible. Like, wh- yeah, when I look back to when I did well in 21, like... I was seeing all my friends. I'd been on holiday to Cornwall with my family, which again, I'd missed out on for four years. And I think we all, everyone is obsessed with, like you've got to sacrifice everything. And I just don't believe in that. I really don't think you do. I think you can have, I think you can have a really balanced life and still do well. And I think that's the important thing is not to put your life on hold, just like try and ride and race alongside of doing all those things that you like to do. And just, just, to find that balance you don't need to sacrifice everything I don't I don't really believe in that if I'm honest oh Tom I think that's a great way to wrap it up I think Evie 
what you just said there. They're just, I think <laughs> I have met you before, but this is the first time I've spoke to you properly and I think you're a perfect role model. So much people should know about you a lot more than some of the other people out there on Instagram or whatever. <laughs> I think uh, unbelievable person. You know, I think you do so much good as well. So uh, good luck with uh, the rest of this season anyway. And thanks oh, for coming thank on. Thank you very much. And yeah, I, by the way, I, I listen to your podcast a lot when I'm training. I love listening to it. If I'm on a road bike in the rain, it's normally it's normally your podcast on. So um, Great. good job That's with the podcast. That's what we love to hear, Tom. Yeah, best guest ever, <laughs> confirmed. <laughs> Amazing, thank you. Nice one, cheers, thanks a lot. Tom, we've got a new sponsor for season three and I think we're all going to benefit from this one. Yeah, we know how much you all love coffee, especially on a bike ride. So we've only gone and partnered up with Origin Coffee. Not only that, but we've got you a very chunky discount too. Not a bad start to the season from our chairperson. Yeah, gee, I'm on it from the word go, you know that. A little bit about Origin Coffee then. So they're pioneers in sourcing and roasting some of the highest quality specialty coffee on the market today. In fact, they launch a new coffee every week. Right, so how are we getting our hands on this to taste then, G? Well, I've already done that for you. I've tried Resolute. I would describe it as chocolate, stone fruit, bit of caramel. Have you just read that off the label? Yeah, but I did choose it because it's no nonsense. It's just a classic proper coffee, you know? If you want to try Origin Coffee, just like G, you can get 30% off all coffee and pods by going to origincoffee.co.uk and using the code GTCC30 at checkout. All online orders are roasted and shipped the same day and they have a rewards program so customers can earn points and get cash back every time they shop online. That's code GTCC30 at checkout. Go and get yours today. Enjoy. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Tom, Zwift are back for their third season sponsoring the GTCC. Which means our Wednesday 6pm group rides continue. Exactly. Just hop on your trainer, open up the Zwift app and join the group ride. You get to ride alongside us, all our club members and wear the in-game GTCC jersey. And if you're new to Zwift, just go to Zwift.com to start your free trial today. During this season of the pod, we're going to be walking you through all the new stuff we've been trying out on the app. Just think of us as your testing team. So Chairman Tom, what have you been trying this week? This week, G, I have been riding headfirst into clubs on Zwift. Did you know you can join up to 10 clubs and you can have up to 10,000 people in one club? There's also a new recommendation setting too to help you find them more easily and find like-minded communities. In your club, you can create club rides, races, structured group workouts. So I reckon, G, it's probably about time we got an official GTCC club going on Swift. We'll be able to send you all notifications to keep you in the loop about what's happening. Sound good, G? It does indeed, Tom. 
And big news for this Wednesday's club ride at 6pm UK time. I'm going to be leading it and I'll be joined by this week's podcast, Anna van der Breggen. Massive. See you all Wednesday. Right, Tom, it's time for any other business. What's on the agenda today? Item number one, Geraint. A shout out to James Coxon, who's posted in the GTCC Facebook group to say... After achieving the hour record for a recumbent trike this year, I've been training again at the, get this, Geraint Thomas National Velodrome of Wales for next year's nice. challenge. Great support from them during their disability sessions. He says, I like to think G would be proud. Extremely proud. Any opportunity to say the Geraint Thomas National Velodrome of Wales is always a great shout out. But no, yeah, fair play. Good to see us, um, well, come into good use. Birthplace of champions, that's what it is. Exactly. We have also been fielding a number of food-related questions for you in recent weeks, Geraint, and another one has come in. This is a dichotomy that I personally don't agree with. It's cheese and onion versus salt and vinegar. Um, I'm guessing crisps, right? I think so, yeah. Oh. Yeah, I don't know what else it would be, to be fair. <laughs> on, on your chips, cheese and onion chips. Um, oh, it's got to be salt and vinegar. You say that like it's a fact. To be honest, I would turn my nose up at both those flavours. I think they're the two worst flavours in the in the really? whole. Oh yeah, they're too to be they're honest, too Tom, sour, too tart. Being a vegetarian, your options are limited already. I wouldn't cancel out two options that are vegetarian friendly straight away. What do you go for? Well, wait till you get to the second part of your food related questions. This one comes from Neil Hawkhead, who would like to know Burger King or McDonald's. Neil, without spoiling the surprise, my answer is the same, which is neither. <laughs> um, I haven't had one for ages but it'd probably be McDonald's I think the chips are a bit better aren't they I don't but then know. If, there, if there was a KFC up for grabs I'd go for a KFC interesting probably the most unhealthy but oh that chicken's so good Tom just just once just just don't be a vegetarian just one that's night that's not how it works really just one <laughs> just one time <laughs> I'm going to steer you towards a cycling question, G, that has come in from Joe. Joe would like to know, how do you or your coaches judge how much volume and intensity you can handle without overtraining or risking injury? Uh, the second part of this from Joe is, what can enthusiasts who are serious but not gifted pros do to find that sweet spot, especially with some cross-training in there? Thoughts? Oh, it's, um, it's difficult. It's a bit like trial and error, really. It's, it's understanding your body and knowing how much you can take and I think it's um you can do a lot more than you realize I think but one thing Shane Sutton always used to say was you can't overtrain you can just under rest which I wouldn't say is 100% accurate but it's definitely yeah a lot in that I think you know um if you do rest up properly and you recover properly you can do a lot more the next day and things you know but that's hard in the real world when you've got a job and things um but yeah it's basically trial and error I think you know, try and build up. Um, don't be try and be all intensity. You know, the odd long general ride is always good. Um, so yeah, just just mix it up a bit and and see stuff you enjoy doing as well. Always helps because you're going to do more of that. I think that's the key thing, particularly bearing in mind everything we've heard from our guests today. I'm going to suggest the Richards rule. Let's call it the Richards rule, which is basically if you're loving it as an amateur, do it. If you're having fun, keep doing it. If it's not fun, sack it off. Exactly. Well, great way to end that question, Tom. Loving it, loving it, loving it. See you next week. See you next week. That was the Geraint Thomas Cycling Club. Thanks to Club Secretary Louise Gwilliam, Heads of Music Emma Hickman and Frank Beecher, Head of Social Archie Biltcliffe, 
and our honorary president, Mike Carr. But most of all, thanks to you for listening. We'll see you next time. Ciao, ciao. Crowd Network, a place where you belong.